Folks, welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. It is Tuesday, October 30th. Clemson Tigers are fresh off a 59-10 stomping of the Florida State Seminoles over the weekend. And if you listen to our NC State recap last week, you might as well hit stop now and save yourself an hour. Don't waste your time because we're going to be saying a lot of the same things. Uh, That said, we did have some firsts in this game. Clemson handed Florida State its worst home loss in program history. They were the first ACC team to beat Florida State four consecutive years in a row. Clemson's 59 points were the most ever scored by any opponent at Florida State. And Christian Wilkins became the first defensive lineman in the history of Clemson football to score a rushing touchdown. All of which made it the perfect kind of day to grab a book, take off your shirt, and get a tan in Dope Campbell. Ben and Cody here with you today to recap the game, and we'd be remiss to first not start on the um, top 25 rankings for the college football playoff just released tonight. Clemson comes in as number two, Alabama at number one. Cody, no surprises there. No, it's it's not particularly sexy. I don't think they were able to drum up as much drama as years past. Um, I think it pretty much went chalk in, in, in so far as it could be chalk. Um, I think the only only bit of like, I guess, argument would just be LSU, Notre Dame's order and maybe Oklahoma. I think they have a I think they have a bit of a gripe as they their offense has been just out of this world. So I think maybe they had a an argument for the for the fifth or maybe sixth spot. Yeah, I mean, I'm not too surprised, I guess, by LSU jumping Notre Dame here. And I mean, honestly, if you're either of those teams or really if if you take a look here at the top 10 uh, going all the way down to Ohio State at number 10, you can pretty much look at all these teams. And if they win out, they're probably in the college football playoff when all said and done. Well, if they all win out, I guess there could be an odd man out. Um when you when you factor in Notre Dame, and I still don't see that loss on Notre Dame's schedule. Northwestern, maybe this weekend, but at Northwestern look does look like a tough game. Um, they had a I forget who they beat over the weekend. Was it um, Wisconsin? I think uh, it was. Yeah, they they have scratched and clawed their way to some victories. If if you look at the analytics, nothing about Northwestern. Sorry, sorry, uh, Hunter Johnson. North, nothing about Northwestern. Um, either on paper or on on the eye test, looks like it's anything above like average. But at home, a lot of energy, big game uh, as a ranked team. I mean, it, it is the one potential slip up on Notre Dame's schedule. Yeah, that NC State game at the end of the year, or sorry, that USC game, Southern Cal game at the end of the year, looks um, like it's going to be less and less of a challenge as the wheels are starting to come off there. Um, Clay Heldon getting rid of his offensive line coach over the weekend, taking the play calling duties away from T. Martin. So I know that'll be out there in Pasadena in the Rose Bowl. But yeah, just not looking like a tough game. But this Northwestern game coming up, uh, which I believe is this uh, this weekend, correct? It is. It is. Yeah. So that could be the only opportunity for a loss left on their schedule. Um, You know, all this being said, again, going back to my original comment, if you're any of these teams, you can kind of look at yourself now and and, and say, really, all, all that I have to do is win out. I mean, LSU wins out, they're in. Um, Michigan wins out, you know, there's a good chance they're in because they still have to play. Um, uh, they've got Penn State coming up this weekend, so if they're able to get by that, that's another notch in their belt, and if they end up winning out in the Big Ten, but yeah, I guess I, I think you're right. Notre Dame is the caveat there. Um, all the and other teams play. Uh, yeah, and well, and all, that's true. And all the other teams play each other. Georgia's going to have another shot at Alabama. Um, LSU has a shot at Alabama this weekend. Um, Oklahoma can see, 
keep winning. Washington State at number eight, just shooting up the charts over the last few weeks. They're the only one-loss team left in the Pac-12, and to be honest, their only opportunity to get a, a team in the playoffs. So pretty interesting seeing everything that's come out. Um, uh, Kentucky gets to play Georgia, so that's going to happen. Um, so there's still going to be a lot of movement, I think, in the – what are we, in the fourth or fifth year now of the college football playoff? Uh, the the initial number three seed is never make it. So it's looking at you, LSU. Yeah, I, when, and Alabama doesn't fare so well in the number one seed. But if we, anything we've learned in the last three years of uh, watching Clemson in the in the playoff, and the, even the year before that, is things don't shake out. They they never hold steady. Um, there's always, like you said, there's always movement. Um, but let me let me just kind of posit the chaos situation scenario. That would be, I think that would be for one, if Georgia wins out and they keep just railing people and Alabama does the same, they make it to the SEC championship game and Georgia narrowly defeats Alabama in an upset. And then at the same time, we have Notre Dame winning out um, and Ohio State winning out and Oklahoma. So then you have what I would say, what would that be, six? Six deserving teams, four spots. I, I, and I, I have no idea what the which way the the selection committee would go. I mean, would you take Alabama? Would you put consideration to them if they lost a, a nail biter in the SEC championship game to Georgia? Well, a, it's hard for me to see that happening considering how well Alabama is playing, and I do think Georgia is a flawed team this year. We're going to find out a lot more this weekend when we play LSU, and it's it's almost like I don't even like to speculate at this point. Um, with so we're, many we're podcasts, conjecture. No, I get that, but I and do it again. Pointing back to to the recent past, it's hard to say what's going to happen with any of these teams. We always see a lot of shuffling. Now, what I will say, there's a lot more blue bloods um, up here in the in the top you know, six or seven. We had that one year where there was Mississippi State and Ole Miss in there. They're not blue buds by any stretch of the imagination. And they weren't anywhere, I don't think, near the top four uh, when all is said and done at the end of the year. So there's a lot of interesting things left to, to be played out here. And um, I think I'm in particular looking specifically this weekend at LSU Alabama. I think more so than anything, it's going to give us a gauge of how really good of a team Alabama is. I think I have a good... Um, uh, kind of a good take on Georgia. Michigan is a is a team for me that, you know, they lose that first game of the year, the Notre Dame, and everybody kind of writes them off, and now all of a sudden they're back at number five. So that's a team I'll be interested to see play some more. They're still going to, again, they have Penn State this weekend, and they still have to play Ohio State at the end of the year, and then we'll see what happens, whoever makes it to a Big Ten, Big Ten championship game. But, um, yeah, again, I don't like to speculate about the chaos, especially with so many games left and so many teams still in it. Well, I mean, no one's going to hold you to it, but that's what's like the fun of it here. Um, I think that that is the, <clears throat> excuse me, that is the one uh, kind of trip up. But if we could just talk about who are the best teams, though, instead of looking at how you should rank order them sure. in terms of playoff committee. <clears throat> Excuse me. I still think uh, Georgia is 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 one of the four best teams. You mentioned their flaw, but I still think I think every team after Clemson is, in Alabama is not complete. Every team has some holes in them. I would say Georgia, whether three or four, probably deserve uh, deserve to be in that conversation. I don't think they'll ultimately get to because I agree with you. I think they'll lose in the SEC championship game. But then, but I would put them probably three or four, and I think Oklahoma is is the one other team that would. Let's say they, they slide into four, Clemson, Notre Dame, two and three. Uh, I think with their offense, who is S&P uh, rated number one offense, just I think it's five points a game better than last year. Just a, a historically good offense. And, and by the way, I know they were playing Big 12 defenses. These are opponent adjustment uh, adjusted ratings, but it is a good offense. It's going to put up points against anyone. It's just a matter of can they stop anyone? Probably not is the answer, but it, it would make for a nice nice shootout against Alabama. Well, it's interesting to hear you leave Notre Dame out. You know, Notre Dame has a win over nine, number five Michigan on the year. Um, they won against then Stanford 38 to 17, then number seven stands Stanford 38 to 17. They go into Blacksburg, get a big win, um, and they're an 8 0 undefeated team. Again, we'll see what they have then uh, in store against North, Northwestern. That game is at Northwestern. So, kind of interested to see that you don't have uh, Notre Dame and that's coming for me, a guy who's never really high on Notre Dame, but I think their body of work this year, I got to give them some credit. Now I know they had the close games against ball state and Vanderbilt, but 
you forget, you know, they went in through a similar kind of quarterback situation as Clemson, starting off the season with Wimbush, ultimately moving to books. So you have to give them, if you're going to give uh, Clemson some leniency on their kind of early hiccups on the schedule because we were trying to get the quarterback situation kind of ironed out, you have to do the same for Notre Dame. Yeah, no, you, I, I can't argue with their their uh, their their work so far. Their their um, what they've done, and and I and I don't, I'm not even factoring in the close losses. It's more what I see with the eye test, um, and I still think they will get in ultimately if they win out, and I think they will win out. What I see though is a team that's really good at a lot of things and, and balanced offense, defense. Um, they're they're good on both sides of the ball, but not great in any one thing. It kind of reminds me of Penn State in years past. Um, fortunately for Notre Dame, they don't play a, an Ohio State or really a formidable opponent during the regular season. Um, yeah, they did beat Michigan early. I would say they Michigan was putting in their um, uh, his his name is blanking on me. If you think of the quarterback's name there um, from Old Miss, formerly, but they he was they were breaking him in. He was still uh, getting integrated into the Michigan offense. Their defense has come along. It's looking really good. Um, but ultimately, going back to Notre Dame. I just think they do a lot of things really well, but they're not elite at any one thing, and and that that kind of shows both on in the numbers and on the, when you watch them with your uh, just just when you watch them with your eyes. Well, and you also left out LSU there, who arguably has uh, you know the best body of work um, on the year. They've got let's see, I think five top 20 or four top 25 wins, the loss to Florida State. Now, how much you really count the game against Miami? That was a blowout at the beginning of the year. Uh, they beat Auburn by one point. Auburn, I don't even believe, is ranked anymore. Um, a loss to Florida in the swamp is not bad, and they got a 20-point win over Georgia. Yeah, I mean, at this point, body of work, you can make those arguments, but if, if, and, and certainly you can make that argument for LSU, but if we're talking about if they're a good enough team to beat Bama, to beat Clemson, uh, or if they even just deserve to be a top four team, and I don't think they do because yeah, their defense has been, it's been solid, uh, but the offense just hasn't quite matched. Uh, it's kind of like the juxtaposition between Oklahoma uh, and LSU. They, it's kind of the, the inverse is true there. Um, they make it ugly. I, I think they're going to give Alabama a test, but ultimately they they don't deserve really really to be the top five. Probably not in that top seven or eight right now that are vying uh, for for a championship spot. Yet they beat Georgia by twenty points, whom you have them <laughs> uh, behind, not being considered. Hey, any given Saturday, we almost lost to Syracuse. Uh, we almost lost to Texas A and M. Things happen. And, uh, and, and Death Valley, LSU's Death Valley, is a really tough place to play. Yes, it is. So, again, we're going to find out a lot this weekend, and I anticipate that the uh, loser of this game will find their way out of the college football playoff talk. That includes Alabama running the table after that and ending the season with one loss because I would arguably say that, I mean, whomever the winner is between LSU and Georgia is going to get in. And then if you want to argue for that, that, that second team, either of them will have two losses. You can go ahead, but I have a hard time again, looking back down to Alabama, getting in and maybe that number four spot, having not uh, won their conference championship a second year in a row. And I'm also saying that as a Clemson fan who does not want to see Clemson go in as number one this year against Alabama at number four. Great point. I, I I will love to. See, I want to see Alabama lose. Like, why would you not root for that? And then I want to see the selection committee change their v vernacular, um, as they won't say the best four teams because they know if they omit Alabama from this this four uh, team playoff, they it won't it will indeed not be the best four teams, regardless of what happens in in uh, at LSU this weekend. Well, I think it's going to have to be an injury to two at this point that that ends up keeping Alabama out. Um, and then because, do you get the Kelly Bryant exception, like the you know from last year? Do you are they exempt if if there is an injury there? Right, um, but I, I just think they're a completely different team with Tua, and with him healthy and on the field, I don't see them even with a tough game against LSU. And this is you know going to quite honestly be their only. Um, Really, well, it's it's, good. it's their toughest test of the year. Their schedule has been absolutely abysmal outside of a game at home against Texas A and M. Um, we'll see what they're made of. I'm of the opinion that I would just like to see them win out, um, showing some chinks in their armor along the way. That's certainly helpful, but you know, 
there's never been a 15 and 0 college football team. And I would love to see this be the year that two undefeated teams in Clemson and Alabama kind of finish off this, this run that we've been on playing each other uh, over the past three years, end it in the fourth year with one of those teams taking home the trophy in a 15 and 0 record. Yeah, I, I think this this would be the year. Things are lining up. And if again, if we're going back to the SP ratings, there's two teams that that look really good. And by the way, either one, Alabama or Clemson, if you compared it to last year, would have been the best team on paper uh, w- with a little bit of distance. But this year, there's two really good teams. And then that, like, as we as we predicted earlier in the year, the, the second tier uh, probably starts with Oklahoma, Michigan, whatever, name your team. But it, it, there is a drop off there. So let's assume Alabama and Clemson hold rank uh, and win out throughout the rest of the year. Who do you want to see facing Clemson in that three spot? Okay, so it's a great not, question. Not as in who do you think the number three team will be? Who do you think the third best team will be? Who would yeah. you like to play? Yeah, yeah. The, who is the best matchup for Clemson? Um, well, who's the best matchup? Uh, probably Notre Dame for the reasons I mentioned earlier. I just don't – I think I think uh, we, we're going to be able to put up points on their defense. That's good, not great. And our defense would get stops against against their offense. The, their offensive line isn't what it was last year. Um, who would I want to play though? I, I think you could put Michigan in there as well, um, just because God, it would it would be nice playing Harbaugh. I, I think they're a lot like a, a lot like Notre Dame. They're good at a lot of things, but not great. And you got to be great. You got to bring greatness to the playoff, or, or you're going to be leaving. What do you think? Yeah, I'm leaning Michigan just because I would love to uh, get an opportunity to face Jim Harbaugh and shut him up. Because um, you know there's going to be a lot of talk coming from him leading up to that game. When, and we would have a month uh, between them making it in and actually having to play that game. So I see a lot of bulletin board material coming out of Harbaugh's mouth. <laughs> you know, he he's really quieted down over the last two years after well, not he hasn't up been winning. That. Exactly. Well, Iowa State's been been beating them, and uh, he he's had he's had a top five ranking preseason, hasn't lived up to it. Not as much chirping out of, uh, out of uh, the Michigan crowd anymore. No, we will get to see that play out on the field. Um, I, I think out of the Big Ten, it really is going to come down um, between Michigan and Ohio State having the path in there uh, on the opposite side um, in the Big Ten West. There was a few one loss teams coming into the weekend. Um, I believe wasn't, didn't Iowa go down? Um, I don't see anybody out of that side of the conference giving any team of the East too much trouble. Um, so yeah, we'll see that game at the end of the year is going to be at Ohio state. That is the game between Michigan and Ohio state. So, um, yeah, we'll see how that plays out again. This is what starts to make it fun. That's the most fun for me. I think when the initial top 25 or the, the, really looking at the top 10 college football playoff rankings come out is what matchups do we have left on the table? Not necessarily speculating what the chaos could be or if there's six viable teams, but like what, what matchups uh, here heading towards the end of the season are going to be enhanced because of these rankings. And it's, you know, you've always got the blue bloods. Michigan is probably a little bit higher this year than I would have anticipated them to be LSU. Obviously I didn't think this LSU Alabama game is always big, but it's compounded by the fact that LSU is a 7-1 football team and looking really good. Nobody expected them to be in this spot. Probably 50% of people thought that Ed Orgeron would be fired by now. Um, and then you've got teams like Washington State. Mentioned them and Kentucky sitting there at number nine at 7-1. and one. They're on a path. You know, it's going to be between them and Georgia and the SEC East. So, you know, don't, uh, don't overlook Kentucky. Yeah, I would love some new blood in the playoff. And especially if they can take down the Blue Bloods. So... It'll be good to see a little drama. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll get it. But ultimately, I think you're you're going to be looking at blue bloods across the across the four teams that that make it. So you're not feeling UCF coming back, uh, jumping up from number twelve at seven and zero right now. No, they well they don't play anyone, and not and that's not all their fault. But uh, I, I think teams some teams avoid scheduling them. Uh, but no, they're 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 not going to make it. Um, okay. Well, so it's always exciting to have the first uh, college football playoff rankings coming out. I don't think it's any surprise to anybody that Alabama uh, sits here at number one and two. Maybe a little bit of surprise to LSU jumping Notre Dame, but I think overall, it's n- nothing that shocks me coming out of uh, uh, these initial top 25 rankings, except for maybe the fact that, um, you know, North Carolina State sticking in there at number 21. They got blown out by Clemson and then turn around and lose to Syracuse the game after that. I don't know 
what it is with teams who who give Clemson a tough game that go and turn around and lose the next week. Syracuse did that against Pitt, although Pitt has been playing a lot better lately. They did give Notre Dame a run for their money. Um, that being said, out of the two teams, I still tend to think that uh, Syracuse is a better team than NC State. Based off of the, I guess, our matchup, I would say so. Um, it's tough to say, but uh, I don't think Clemson is going to have any hallmark victories uh, on their on their schedule. It might actually be A and M, might be the best victory they'll have all year. Well, Syracuse ranked ahead at AM, A&M right now um, with one less loss, so we'll see how that plays out. Boston College still on the schedule. They uh, come in at number 22 in these initial rankings, sitting at 6-2. and two. And then, lo and behold, um, out of the ACC Coastal, there's Virginia sitting at number 25 at 6-2. and two. That's quite a surprise. They, ha- You know, they have Coastal Division champion aspirations. Yeah. Uh, They've been okay this year, and that's all That's all it takes to win the Coastal Division in 2018. Just yeah, okay. that's, that's all it takes to finish second in the ACC Atlantic. You know, For the most part, all he has to do is show up, and a lot of these teams in the ACC are tending to, to, to have problems doing so. Um, speaking of the ACC Championship game, Virginia is about the last team I want to play, see Clemson play, just because I just, just find that incredibly boring. Um, and not a very sexy matchup. No, it's it's been close in previous years when we're talking North Carolina in 15, Virginia Tech in 16. Uh, Miami, we blew them out, but at least it was top a top 10 uh, matchup this year. It's it's going to be ugly. I, I don't know what to say. I don't think I don't think the ratings will be up. And do you think it's more, I think it's definitely in part because the ACC is down, but I also want to take it with a bit of a grain of salt because Clemson is just that much better than everybody. The same way that Alabama is that much better than everybody than, well, at least the teams that they've played in the SEC so far this year. It's just a different standard. It's hard to hold the bar that high for, you know, for every other team that, that aren't these elite teams. That's like, it kind of, it kind of skews our perception of, I think of how good college we should expect these college football teams to be because you're seeing right now Clemson and, and Alabama for the most part rising rising above the rest. Georgia obviously on the rise. Many still think this is a down year for them, but uh, you know they're sitting up there at number six. Yeah, well, in terms of the ACC, and it, I think our completeness this year, and w- whether or not you believe, we'll talk about maybe in just a bit, whether or not you believe this is the best Clemson team over the last four or five years. Uh, it's up for it's up for debate, but it is the most complete team, I think. And that that talent travels. There's less holes. Um, whereas in like 15, 16, we had to rely, rely on a little bit of like transcendent talent of of certain positions, ma- namely quarterback. This year, you just there there is a bit of Clemson is that good. Um, I've I've been listening to Florida State podcasts, and they ha- they gave credit uh, credit to Clemson. They said this is one of the best teams we've seen. Uh, Bud Elliott uh, from from the Noel cast said he's seen the 16 team. Saw the 15 team, and he saw this team, and this is the best one so far. Well, he saw this team go into Doe Campbell and annihilate uh, the Seminoles by 49 points. Uh, so let's move towards talking about that game. But real quick before we get into it, appreciate everybody listening to the podcast. We welcome any new listeners and, of course, all our old listeners. You can interact with us. You can reach us via email at clemsonpodcast at gmail.com. We are at Clemson Podcast on Twitter and Facebook. And uh, you can stay and keep up to date with all our new episodes that come out. Get instant notifications by subscribing to us on any of your podcasting apps, whether it be iTunes, Stitcher, now Podbean. And then also log on to iTunes and please uh, give, us a, uh, give us a review. Those are super helpful in getting our name out there. And also one shout out here real quick. Uh, Treadstone... Jason, Jason, Treadstone, Jason, Treadstone, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. Um, turns out he was actually a bartender at Sam's wedding that we went back to Clemson for over the bye week. So what a strange coincidence. He uh, reached out to us on Facebook uh, to give us a little shout out and let us know that nugget. So uh, thanks, Treadstone. We appreciate it. And uh, thanks for the strong drinks. So with that, let's move on to recapping the Florida State game. Okay, Cody, I want to start with kind of debunking the myth of there being a talent gap between these two teams right now. I know Florida State is down, and they were kind of pointing that direction under the last couple years under Jimbo Fisher, and now Willie Taggart's having a hard time pulling this team back together. They certainly look undisciplined uh, with 16 penalties for 134 yards um, for the game, in addition to a lot of other unforced errors. Um, 
But, you know, and yes, on the two deep from both teams on Saturday, Florida State Hill still has the better list of, of, of recruits, at least as far as their rivals' rankings are concerned. Clemson with 28 players who were five stars or four stars. Florida State had 30. So comparative you know, talent on paper. Um, on the field, we did not see that play out. That, that's true. Well, the one, I guess, consideration there, too, is we do have better high-end talent. That's just five-star. That's your Dexter Lawrence, Christian Wilkins, Xavier Thomas. Those guys make a difference. However, the flip side of that, they have more four-stars, They have, as you, as you just listed. And I think what Clemson's motto, uh, model has been is, is attracting the high-end talent, make sure they're right fit. Uh, go after four stars and three stars that are a cultural fit. And I think more than anything, uh, aside from the continuity of coaching, uh, the thing that really separates these teams right now is is is, is a bit of the culture. Uh, as, as Florida State with first year under Taggart, uh, they, they got a long way to go. And, and, and it really starts from within, getting their, their mindset right and getting the players bought in. But yeah, you're right. In terms of talent, not a big discrepancy, if if even if there is one. Yeah, so you mentioned the culture part of it and kind of leading up into this year, really the, the culture and what we would point to is just the literal environment around the program and how it's a family atmosphere, how Dabo and the other coaches treat the players and how involved they are you know, in their lives beyond football. Um, but it's also the culture that you know we're really seeing this year that's being highlighted, the culture of getting so many people into the game and playing all these backups. Clemson played 72, all traveling 72 players yet again. They've done that in each of their three ACC road games this year. Uh, Dabo had a quote that mentioning essentially that that's one of the benefits of playing so many people is that it really is the next man up. And uh, that next guy has gotten some significant and meaningful snaps this year. You know, we had whichever game that was, I think it was Wake Forest, had 56 guys playing the first uh, quarter of that game. So it's not just backups. It's not we get a big lead with our with our first teamers and start throwing in the backups at the end of the third quarter, and that's where they're getting all their playing time. No, these guys are getting significant snaps in the first and second quarters, and that that matters. Like, that that experience is really, really helping out with these guys when you're having to put them in in other situations. And when you're putting them in, again, these backups that we have playing, again, are not playing in garbage time. They're playing against opposing teams, first team starters. Yeah, and I think if I looked at the difference between the 15 and 16 team, and both had a lot of talent by by college football standard, by, by any team standards, the difference between this team, I think, is not just that they have – those first the first string of really good talent they they can bring in second teamers at most positions not every position but at most positions and it is a four star or a five star player and you're like you said you're giving them meaningful reps i think the what made uh, i don't want to say volatile but what made those 15 16 teams uh, potentially um susceptible to to a trip up or slip up was that they didn't have a ton of depth throughout the roster. Um, but th this team has both, I think, a little bit higher in talent and more more talent dispersed. Uh, and, and now, as, as, as Dabo's working these guys in early, they actually have more experience too. So they're coming along, and you're seeing it. Yeah, and you point to guys like Nolan Turner and Denzel Johnson, who we saw playing very timid at the beginning of the year, specifically in that A&M game. And now they're actually, I think uh, Nolan Turner had 50 snaps, 50, 50 plus snaps in this game. Yeah. He and Denzel Johnson there, there really are. They're playing a lot better, playing faster. Um, you could go down the list. I mean, Xavier Thomas has been just unbelievable. I mean, we should, yeah, we it, probably... it didn't take long for things to click for him. Yeah, I mean, he's just he's something else. Uh, Larry Larry Williams from Tiger Illustrated compared him to the to Javion Clowney, that the transcendent talent that can the rare defensive player that can get Heisman consideration. That, that's I mean, you watch him, he's he's ridiculous. But um, you, you go down the list, though. There's guys that you actually see and get better as the season's gone along. Um, wide receiver Darian Kendrick, uh, T.J. Chase, D even DeAndre Overton, who's playing out of that uh, playing third string boundary right now. Like these guys are, they're really coming along. Yeah, and you specifically look at a lot of the young guys, and that certainly bears itself out at the wide receiver position. But I mean, you know, even going to our, our quarterbacks, you look at Chase Bryce. He's a you know what sophomore on this football team, um, and 
I think if you, from what we've seen the last couple of weeks, and especially after that Syracuse game, you feel pretty confident with him going in there. I think, well, I think so. And, and then we talked about it a little bit last week, as you said, a little, little redundant here, but he is coming along faster. Um, he's, he's flashing things with his arm. That was certainly better than Bryant. Yeah. I don't think he's our, I don't think he's our second string quarterback if Bryant's still around, but he's, he's really, you, you feel confident you could maybe just maybe win a semifinal game uh, with Chase Bryce as your quarterback. That might be a stretch, but he, he's, he's definitely gotten better. Well, it depends on who you're playing, but I don't necessarily think it's a stretch just because of the gobs of talent around him. And we've, you know, the, the, the kid's got some, he's got moxie and that's, I'm not, that's, you know, not a unique take for me. Everybody's seen it. People have said it. We all know it. So, um, and he's got the talent to go with it. So, and again, this is, you know, just a snapshot of one position group on the roster and you can make that comparison at many other positions. So Cody, let's, let's kind of start and look high level here. Um, S&P ranked number two defense. We kind of stayed put after, uh, and I think a lot of the garbage time points is is keeping us there in that number two and preventing us from jumping up to number one. Still the number 13 ranked S&P offense. Kind of based off of where we are now uh, versus where we thought we would be at the, the beginning of the season, what's changed or what are you surprised by? Well, what's funny is when we talked three weeks ago, we said this is not quite the, the the version of Clemson I thought we would see at the beginning of the year. If you go back and listen to our preseason uh, rah-rah Clemson uh, shows, we were a little bit perplexed. But it took all of three weeks just for this for this team to come along to get it together. And, and it's happened. It's happened in years past uh, with the, even Deshaun Watson's 15 and 16 team. It was not a It was not a smooth ride by any stretch. But right around championship time, and I, I call that the South Carolina game. That's when championship season begins. They just hit their stride. I don't know if that's focus. I don't know if it's coaching, if it's Deshaun Watson carrying the ball more. But this team did the same exact thing, but they did it about four four games early. And if I could just attribute it to one thing, and I'll let you, let you give your feedback, I, I would say it's just because Trevor Lawrence needed to be the quarterback, and he needed – he needed to be the guy, and uh, and three games in, it's it's paid dividends. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I agree on the Trevor Lawrence part of it. I think that's obvious. Uh, I think making the switch to uh, to him and then having Kelly Bryant leave the team, uh, Quacking Tiger from Shaking the Southland said it in his recap article, that in hindsight, that looks like a blessing in disguise because that really made things clear from the quarterback situation for Clemson. And you've seen this offense kind of develop an identity over the last few weeks that Trevor Lawrence has been the starter. They're able to do things that they hadn't, they weren't able to do before under Kelly Bryant. And that, that opens up the play calling. It, it lets you be more varied with the, more creative with the play calling. And, you know, when the running game is not working, you've got the passing game. When the passing game, when the running game is working, you don't necessarily need to rely on the passing game. So it just, it, it makes you so much more dynamic as an offense. And, you know, again, in hindsight, probably a blessing in disguise. We, you know, everybody loved Kelly Bryant, you know, hope that for the best for him. And if he would play well enough to be the starter all year, I would have been behind him. But I think it's very clear in looking at this, that the tr having Trevor Lawrence being named the starter now leading this team is a big reason why we are playing so well, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. I, I wonder where those Kelly Bryant apologists, because by the way, I don't think anyone ever said that Kelly Bryant should be starting or that he's more talented, but they, there was a certain contingent of Clemson fans and albeit it might've been a minority that were waving the Kelly Bryant flag, or they were really defensive when someone wanted Trevor Lawrence to be the starter. Well, to those people, like for one, calm down a little bit. And, and two, this is why, because we knew this was possible from Trevor Lawrence. It had nothing to do about Kelly Bryant and you know, what he did or didn't do in 2017 and had everything to do with Trevor Lawrence's upside. And we're starting to see like, like, wow, like it's it's untapped potential. Like, does anyone even feel like he's close to being what he will be? Uh, just based off of really like a four game sample where he just has seen linear improvement. It's in this Florida State team in particular. Like, you say what you want um, about them giving up about the coaching. It's a good defense. It was it was inspired at least for a quarter and a half, and it and it gave him a lot of trouble. And he showed a lot a lot on Saturday. Yeah, and I don't want the Trevor Lawrence and quarterback uh, thing to really overshadow a lot of the other guys on the team because it's another reason why we have 
gotten better is because of that aforementioned uh, depth that we've developed by playing so many guys. I mean, look at the offensive line. Trevor Lawrence becomes a quarterback, and you could argue that, okay, we're going to become a pass-first team just because you know that's his best attribute. People are going to be focusing on the pass. Uh, the offensive line struggled in pass coverage earlier this year, but they really come, you know, they really bounced back on that. They've been playing a lot better in pass coverage lately and we, against teams where we've had to pass the ball against to be successful against NC State and Florida State because those teams had good defensive fronts. They stacked the box, the, the key on stopping ETN in the run game, and that hasn't limited us. And part of that is uh, for the protection the offensive line is given. Part of that, too, is the amazing wide receiver depth that we develop. You see Justin Ross uh, coming in as a true freshman and playing so well. Um, you know, and the myriad other guys out there. So it, it, it's the depth and not just on the offensive side of the ball. The same can be th said about the defense, uh, the defensive line. We know how good the, the top four guys are, but man, what a hell of a game the backups played this week. And Albert Huggins had himself a game. Jordan Williams getting in there, getting some more playing time and looking great. We already, already talked about Xavier Thomas, um, several other defensive ends shuffling in and out. So Mouse Pickney. Uh, not to forget about him. So, again, the, the development of the depth um, has paid big dividends, too. Yeah, you know what is funny? There is a, there's a podcast uh, where it's, it's one of those kind of uh, like storytelling type podcasts like NPR or something. Um, but it's, it's called Origins by uh, James Andrew Miller, and it features Nick Saban. It's just a one-on-one -on -one account. Uh, with him, his wife, uh, his strength and conditioning coordinator. And basically he's built a model and, and I'm, I know Larry Williams and others have written about this where you basically just stack talent on top of talent and you, and you, you just put a gun to their head and say, you better, you better show up and play well on Saturday or the guy behind you is going to take your spot. So they, they created a culture of basically, I don't want to say fear uh, as the, the motivating factor, but it, yeah, it, I mean, essentially it is fear of uh, losing your starting position where Dabo is doing, a, I mean, I'm not going to, Dabo's not doing that by any stretch. He's created a, a, a definitely the opposite culture, but there's always that competitive element when you have, when you have Niles Pinkney and he sees, and he sees Jordan Williams coming along and all of a sudden he picks up his game and, and you're seeing that on the offensive line. I think uh, there's guys that are always, that are always looming there uh, to take the starters position. So um, there's, there's definitely that element of, of competition. Yeah, I mean, the offensive line. You'd seen Sean Pollard lose his job. You saw Kate Stewart lose his job back to Sean Pollard. And then Sean Pollard goes down in this game, and Kate Stewart's back in there. And Justin Falsinelli goes down, and Gage Trevenka goes in and has a phenomenal phenomenal game. And, you know, those two guys' best attributes have been their run blocking. And lo and behold, here they do an excellent job pass blocking in this game. So, um, yeah, it's just – you said it right. Stacking talent on top of talent and just this – culture of competition but also not this um woe is me attitude it's really a selfless attitude and a team first attitude and knowing no matter what that you're going to get into the game and play also helps a lot too yeah it's it's becoming one of a kind and uh it's 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 a good thing to see um and, and I, th I think it bodes well for next year too I, I i feel one thing i started to feel a little bit of uh like I, I fearful, almost to feel like it might take a little bit longer uh, for Trevor Lawrence, for like for Jackson Carmen, for some of these offensive linemen and others to come along. Like next year might be a slight down year, but I, I'm starting to rethink that now. Not not to start looking to future years because we have a lot to be excited about this season, but I, I'm starting to really rethink that with Xavier Thomas coming on and seeing these young players play. I'm I'm very optimistic that there there might not be a drop off uh, much at all over the next two seasons. Well, yeah, listen, I mean, we're 8-0 and right now. We've hopefully got seven games left in this season. Um, we're going to have the Christmas break. We're going to have three extra weeks of practice for these guys. So you throw the seven games in, the three extra weeks of practice, and then spring practice. Coming back into fall camp, these guys have twice as much experience as they have so far this year, if not more. They have good health, and they have Brent Venables as their defensive coordinator. So, Well, bottom line is that the depth that we're building um, this year, you're seeing it come to fruition. Is Of course, it's going to help out next year, but it, it's really helping out this year. And at the end of the season, I don't even think that we know yet um, how big it is to be getting all these guys in, and especially now that we're blowing teams out. You're feeling really comfortable. I mean, it's one thing where it's close games against Syracuse and we're keeping all these guys in, and you're like, okay, we beat them by talent and won this game. Now we're just annihilating people with talent across the board. 
It is. It, it's it's something uh, that that's a little bit different, and I, I really think it is the culmination of talent that's that we've accrued over time, and and it, it is something similar to Bama, and I think we're we're getting to that level. Uh, next step, win another championship. And so let's focus in on the offense here and just kind of sticking with that, um, the, the theme of talking about all these young guys, you know, only one starting skill position player is older than a, than a second year player. And that's Hunter Renfro. And then you look to the two deep, there's only two deep, um, only two guys on the two deep that are, have surpassed their sophomore year. And that's Tavian Feaster and Trevion Thompson. So, um, you know, a lot of these guys you're going to have for another two or three years. Um, and they're just getting started. So, um, it's one thing in the skill position, it's, it's an opposite thing on the offensive line and where we're not playing a lot of really young guys, uh, Jackson Carmen kind of being the exception there, but the positive that you've seen out of that, and it takes longer for guys on the offensive line to develop. Um, the positive has been, you really have seen them step up the game, especially in pass protection this year. Now they had some issues blocking this game against Florida state. They did against, uh, uh North Carolina state as well. Uh, blocking good defensive fronts and uh, having these big defensive tackles that they've been going it, um, going against, uh, go in there and really block uh, and prevent the running game uh, going up the a gap. But um, again, I think you take that with a grain of salt with Falsinelli and Pollard beyond this game. You take a step back and look, and you got to be pretty pleased with how how far along the offensive line has come. Yeah, you know, I, I've seen the criticisms uh, of of the offensive line along the interior, stopping these uber talented defensive linemen. And you know what? I think that's just the norm in college football now. And, and we couldn't do it in fifteen. We couldn't do it in sixteen. And what I mean is, establish our our AB gap run game when, when we were facing these high level NFL uh, NFL bound defensive tackles. I just don't think it's going to be part of the how Clemson's going to do things if we can get you know five-star all-pro future offensive guards going forward then that that'll that would be great but um I I think we're just it's it's tough there's not many teams that that can actually run through the a and b gap against a Clemson or a or Alabama so we'll, we'll just do it on the perimeter we'll do it to the outside um we'll do it downfield that, that's that's kind of been our mo already so I, I'm just like you said I'm, I'm very pleased with the offensive lines play their their chemistry it's a different unit than it was last year um they've improved in pass blocking and they're going to be good enough against elite competition in run blocking yeah, and kind of what I'm getting at here is because we are so vastly superior in talent and now really depth than any team that we're going to play in our schedule here for the rest of the year, at least until we get to the college football playoff, you know, what do you take out of these games? What are we looking for? So we really have to look at individual position group matchups um, to see if we can any find can find any apples to apples comparisons between our guys and the guys on the other side of the line. And in the past couple of games, it has been the offensive line. Now, I think we're really only going to have one other um, uh, uh, matchup here um, on our regular season schedule. And that's Boston College. But outside of that, I don't think we're going to big test um, as far as any other defensive lines are concerned. Yeah, I think our offensive line fared well. Um, the, the big thing is keep Trevor Lawrence healthy, keep him on his feet. That's what we're that's what we're looking for. He's starting to show a propensity to get a, a good sense of the pocket, uh, feeling where the pressure's coming from, and his quick and just super quick release where he's just humming the ball downfield um, or just to the receiver uh, along the perimeter. That that, that is becoming. Um, it's really a neutralizer for for this pressure. And it, if you do that, if you can do that and give give the ball to playmakers like T. Higgins and Amari Rogers, um, it, while while you're making guys like Brian Burns or these speed rushers go over and over and over again as you're moving the ball downfield, it's kind of like the 2016 championship model where um, it, by the end of the game they're going to be tired. Um, so there, there's always something that the the offense can can fall back on. So. Yeah, offensive line was great, but you also have to take take into account that Trevor Lawrence is, is starting to pick things up really quick. Yeah, he, he's still lacking some touch on his on his deep balls, and you know whether or not he's just kind of too hyped up at the beginning of the game. Um, we'll see. Uh, from all accounts, he's hitting those balls in practice, so eventually that's going to come. But you look at the things like uh, he got rid of the ball much more effectively in this game, and that's something that he struggled with this year, taking too many hits. But uh, he had a few rollouts in this game where he got rid of the ball and just got it out of bounds, and that's a good sign to see him to start to grow and improve on these little things. Absolutely, I, and I would love to see him connect on the uh... – Sorry, that was a dog toy. 
I'd love to see him connect on the deep ball. Um, but like you said, it might just be a little bit of nerves, a little bit of uh, adrenaline. That'll come. If if that's all we're worried about, I'm so not worried about the deep ball because it's going to be there at some point. And the threat's always going to be there. So the defense always has to account for it. I just want to, what I wanted to see was how's he going to do on like read option plays? Is he going to sniff the deep, sniff out the defense? How's he going to do in these RPOs? He's been great. How's his accuracy on these short throws on the slants? Well, with E. Higgins, just throw it anywhere in his catch radius and he'll catch it. Or Hunter Renfro, you could say the same. He's picking up on all these little nuances. Um, and, you know, one thing I noticed on the on the zone reads, Florida State knew he was, Florida State knew he was going to ETN. Um, he knew he was going to ETN. Everyone knew. And it's fine. I, I com- I'm 100% okay if he wants to 90% of the time hand the ball off to ETN. And, and sorry, ETN, there's probably not going to be a hole there. Um, but it's 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 not always worth with the with the targeting on Nezeldine. Uh Teams are going to try to take take Trevor Lawrence out. So that ten yards that you might have picked up on the scramble, it might not be worth it if if you lose a quarterback. You think that was a dirty intentional hit? Nezeldine, he's actually from South Carolina. He's a little bit raw, um, still learning to play the game. I don't know. Um, it's really hard to say. It's tough when you're playing full speed, but. Regardless if it was or it wasn't, there are going to be teams that are going to try to take him out. Um, and why not? You're, you're, you have a, good, a much better chance of beating Clemson um, if you can take out Trevor Lawrence. Still think Chase Price would beat most teams. Um, you mentioned ETN there. I don't want to um, shift off of the offense before we talk about him. You heard it come out of Dabo and Tony Elliott. They got him a little bit for uh, not being patient enough there at the beginning of the game. And if you go back and look at the, his first few rushes, he's not letting things develop in front of him. He's a guy that thinks he's so fast and can uh, break any tackle um, that he's not patient enough just to wait and have these holes kind of open up uh, for him. Earlier in the year, he was kind of hitting the holes before they were open. Um, past couple games is kind of hitting holes that aren't there period you know he has gotten better from his freshman year he was very raw didn't I, I don't believe he played football uh earlier in his life so like you can see like this is an athlete learning to play running back and he's he's doing he's doing a pretty damn good job so far coaches have been really hard on him and I, i'm actually I, I don't think i can recall a player maybe ray ray but for different reasons where the coaches were just really tough on him, but I think I don't think it's it's there's any bad uh, bad faith there at all. I think it's it's all about understanding this guy has unbelievable potential. Could be an NFL a starting NFL running back, but he he has to work on the patience and see, and his vision's good, but it's it's more of just seeing things unfold, letting things happen. It'll be really interesting to see the step that Lynn J. Dixon makes next year. And if it's a similar step that uh, Travis Etienne made, you know, Travis Etienne, even more raw last year. Um, but he was just kind of a maniac, just getting the ball and running wherever he saw green and beating everybody. Lynn J. Dixon's kind of been doing the same thing this year. Um, but it's fine. You know, it, it's, it's okay to challenge these guys. And by all accounts, Etienne takes his coaching very well. And again, that's part of that culture and that character fit that you look for um out of the guys that they recruit and bring onto this football team so listen etn still a huge weapon and north carolina state and florida state two of the best defensive lines toughest defensive lines uh that we're going to have seen this year and are going to see for the rest of the year until we get to the playoff i think so and again if if etn is having a hard time picking up yards like gallman had a hard time against some of the superior teams like alabama I, I, I don't see that as a, as a huge red flag. Um, okay, so before we close out the offense here, not going to really touch on the wide receivers too much because we know how good Higgins is and Hunter Renfro dropped a pass and that just kind of depresses me. Um, Darren Kendrick in the Wildcat, how do you like that look? I, I, think they, I think they just need to show it. I think that was their intention in this one, uh, even though he didn't pass and he can pass. I think it's just show it, get it on film because it could set up a pass down the road. He played quarterback in high school, for those of you that don't know. Right, and I think really when you look at things, they'd rather have Kendrick develop more as a third option as opposed to Ben Batson. I think so. Well, you know, like Hunter Renfro, I kind of want to see him back there. I just, I trust everything that he does. I think he'll he'll do a good job no matter what. But Darren Kendrick, uh, yeah, we could run some crazy wildcat reverse uh, triple option type stuff. Put Christian Wilkins back there in the Wildcat. 
How about that TD run, man? He got three yards into the end zone and then found somebody to hit and fall on. <laughs> took a dive. I mean, he, he, he was so overdramatic on that one. <laughs> Like Dexter uh, Lawrence had moved everybody out of the way, and Christian Wilkins goes in there and just falls down, to act like it was tough. Whereas, okay. where's Garrett Williams takes a handoff from the two yard two yard line and it takes him about fifteen minutes to get in the end zone. You got an H H back dive, and uh, yeah, it it took a little while. All right, so in all seriousness, it was that is really funny that he he decided to get in the end zone and then dive. But uh, in all seriousness, for one. I think he showed more explosiveness out of the backfield than Adam Choice. Uh, and two, Dexter Lawrence is running in front of him. Three, Christian Wilkins, I don't care who, what linebacker in this country. Like, we'll see what defensive end, if he, when he hits them at full speed, is going to stand him up. He's going he's gonna to continue his momentum. There could be something there, too. Speaking of Kendrick in a, in a quarterback set, they could be going to that in a goal line package or a fourth and short at some point in the season. And I'm very confident that Christian Wilkins will get those yards. Okay. Again, as I mentioned, uh, Clemson comes out of this game as the number two ranked S and P defense. FSU had seven three-and-outs and four drives ending with negative yardage in this game. Uh, the bigger stat, though, negative 21 rushing yards. That's negative 0.6 yards a rush. Um, and then five sacks and 14 tackles for loss. Again, just another team that didn't have a chance to move the ball in this phenomenal defense. Yeah, and you, you mentioned, like, what were the, what are the takeaways that you can learn from our offense playing Florida State's defense? And you're, I think you're right. You can learn a lot at the line of scrimmage and, and TL's decision-making. I don't think you can learn a whole lot. Um, that we didn't already know. Um, it's good to get guys reps, but man, that, that offensive line is not good. Um, I think they have a bunch of offensive guards that are masquerading as, as tackles. And when you're facing Cleveland Farrell, Austin Bryant and Xavier Thomas, it's just not a good, it's not a recipe for success. No, especially when, uh, Christian Wilkins has uh, 22 more rushing yards than you did on the game. Um, something's wrong with your offensive line. I mean, I mean, to the credit, that snap over the head took away most of those yards, but still. Um, but but to kind of pick on the defense a little bit, there were some guys running around open early. There were some some drops. That bad snap I mentioned on the second drive slowed uh, or all but – well, it did kill that drive for Florida State. So, um, again, as we have to start to pick apart the weaknesses of this team in what is otherwise a solid performance – you kind of looked at those things. I mean, Florida State did shoot themselves in the foot and probably should have scored more in this game. Well, I think they should have moved the ball more. Um, I don't. Right. So whether or not they, yeah, good, good point. And it, you know what? Things were getting really chippy. Uh, the one thing I'll point to is I was proud of the team, the defense for showing a little bit of restraint. You know, Mark Fields, he got, he got punched and, you know, he did throw his arm, but I don't really think he was trying to land it. I think he was just keeping it real, as the kids say. I, I don't think he was. There was nothing. Uh, Cody's. When 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 is the last time you kept it real? It's it's been a while. I, I, I think I kept it real last weekend a little bit, but I'll probably keep it real this weekend. I don't keep it real that much. I'll say this: if Mark Fields ever lands a punch, he's bound to knock someone out because his hands are made of stone. We'll have to put in a. What's the thing you call with the drum? The. No, the something shot thing. Anyways, we'll we'll cue that one up for you. Got to warn me, Cody, when you're going to tell a joke because it doesn't happen often. You know, otherwise, you know, Acres really couldn't get anything going in the run game, so that really made them one dimensional. And then when you're dropping those passes, that they were, it, it just it's a recipe for disaster. It kind of goes back to the lack of focus that this team had. I think more so on the offensive side of the ball than they did on the defensive side of the ball. Let's talk about the defensive line for the second for a second. Dabo challenged the starting defensive line to play better coming out of the bye week, and as a whole, you saw this unit in their past uh, uh, two games: twenty-two tackles for loss and six sacks since that bye week. So, defensive line really starting to, um, you know, exert the w their will on opposing offensive lines, and that really that really helps out this secondary. I know the secondary has improved, but having the defensive line get pressure on these quarterbacks and having them get the ball out so quickly. The announcers in this game talked about FSU needing to take more shots downfield, but the defensive line really gave them no time to. 
Yeah, the, the defensive line has stepped up. I knew they could, and I don't think I don't think it was ever a thing of effort. I think it's always a thing of discipline. And when you know you're going to win by a lot, and and you want to have a little bit of fun, and you maybe you want to you're a little bit overzealous, you want to get that sack. I think you you lose a little bit of discipline, but I, I think this defensive line has another gear. And and frankly, I don't think our our, our safeties or or maybe not our defensive backs, but as a whole. Our national championship good, but our defensive line might be the best unit overall in the entire country. So you're right. It does mitigate a lot of of, of weakness there. Um, although those guys are coming along too. So I don't wanna I don't wanna give them short shrift either. Yeah, and I really look at the the remaining teams we have on the schedule, and I don't see a team, even if the offense sputters, they can put enough points to beat this Clemson football team. And it all starts there with the defensive line. And kind of my last takeaway here is uh Trey Lamar, his interception, man. I thought he was going to decapitate that ball running it back. He, I'm he surprised it had air really in it. Well. What's that? I'm surprised it had air in it still at the end. He was holding that thing pretty tight. Had a good grip on it. He's He moves really well to be that big. Let, let me say this, though, to take it up a little bit um, and, and, and to be serious because my jokes just don't hit the way they once did. Um, at the end of the game, uh, DeAndre Francois was getting just absolutely murdered. And some said that, by the way, he, he could have been faking that last injury. But, my God, the guy has been hit so much over the last, especially in, against Clemson, over the last two, three seasons. What the heck was Willie Taggart doing leaving him in take, there? Yeah, take him out at that point. Get Blackman in there. Get him some reps. Although, that being said, Blackman obviously more susceptible to getting injured since he's 165 pounds. But, yeah, Francois took some hits. It was He probably stayed in there a series or two too long. Yeah, just run the ball, um, drain the clock. Clemson will extend that courtesy on the other side. Like this was a by the end of the game, it, it went from being wow, this was kind of like the Miami game to uh, at a, some point in the third, fourth quarter, just didn't something didn't feel right about it with the guys at Florida State. You just felt like there was going to be a fight. Um, you thought DeAndre Francois might die. Um, it, you know, th- this was uh, it was great to be a part of and, and to be on the winning end, but. Mm. Not not a good look. That that is that is a program in in shambles right now. Is it getting to a point where we're kind of uh, starting to feel bad for the teams that we're playing when it gets late into the third and into the fourth quarter? Just seeing our fourth string guys out there against their first team guys. <laughs> well, that, you know, my girlfriend asked, "Hey, why are they? Why when do they quit running up the score?" And I'm like, "You don't ever." stop playing hard in football. What you do is you put in your third string and if their first string can't stop your third string, then that's just, you just got to live with you. It. Yeah. And, and that's what happened. So, I mean, I, I feel bad just because I don't, I, I felt bad for Francois, frankly. Um, he, he would miss all of last year with an ACL and God, after 16's game where he got just absolutely murdered. I, I, I was tired of seeing it, frankly. Yeah, and you mentioned the third, our third string being better than their first team. There have been pretty much most of the points that has been scored against Clemson this year has been in garbage time. So I went back and looked at our eight games this year, and we're still outscoring people by a handful in the fourth quarter. So again, that's that's that that talented young depth that we have. All signs pointing to it being a very bright future for those guys. And to your point earlier, I think we're going to be just fine next year as well. I think so. Xavier Thomas might be the one of the, the best players that's ever come through Clemson, too. So the, they have that. But can he punt? That's the thing. Uh, Will Spires with a 14-yard boomer in this game. I think it's about time to just have him rugby punt. Um, the rugby punt that, did look good. It did look good. Other than that, there were some good uh, returns by Amari Rogers in this game. Uh, Hugel did miss a, a field goal on that roughing the kicker play. And, again, he missed that field goal prior to getting hit, so that was kind of a bad-looking hit uh, kick there. We're not quite as as buttoned up as we were a couple years ago with Hugel, um, but fortunately we haven't had the need to kick too many field goals this year. Uh, so that wraps it up for our FSU recap. Uh, again, just another utter annihilation by this Clemson football team. The first quarter was, was a little closer than we – well, it was 0-0 off to a slow start, but you still got the feeling in the early going that their offense wasn't going to have a chance against us, and it was only a matter of time before our offense started picking up or started putting up points. So 
you know, whereas in years past, we've had these close games, we've had some loss to, to the Pitt and the Syracuse. I really get the feeling moving forward, looking at this football team and how well they're playing. They're really playing their best football of the year right now. But I also can see other games in the future where we're saying that's the best game they've played so far this year. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, I, I said incremental improvement when Trevor Lawrence took over. I, I think he's making a little bit more than incremental improvement. It, it's it's been a it's been a quick rise. And what I'll say so far is uh, I thought this would be a better team overall than 16. That doesn't mean we'll win a championship, but it does mean we can be in that neighborhood. I, I can see it. Uh, the upside is there um, to surpass that team in, in terms of uh, where we could end up. And it's not too far. Like it, It's not one of those things where the upside, we could potentially hit it. We may, we may not. It, it's within striking distance. Yeah. Uh, bottom line is this team has not reached its ceiling yet, and they have – at least six, possibly seven more games to go in this season. It's going to be fun. All right, so that's our Florida State recap. Uh, before we close things out here, let's take a look at the games uh, in the week ahead. Okay, Cody, the marquee matchup, uh, the one we've been waiting for, especially after LSU uh, beat Georgia early in the year. Alabama at LSU, we talked a little bit about it earlier. Where do you see this game going? Well, the line opened at 13 and a half or 14. I, I could not believe that. And I know that's the largest opening line for a, a game in Death Valley. Uh, I think in the last, I don't know how many years, maybe ever. Uh, I, I can't see, I see that being the minimum margin of victory for Alabama. I see this as LSU having some success early and more than we, in, in, in stymieing to a, a little bit, but ultimately they, they pull out LSU's offense is garbage and Alabama will win probably by three or four scores. It's the same um, LSU team that put up over 400 yards against Georgia, though, in 36 points. Georgia's well, Georgia's D is not quite as good. Um, it's in the neighborhood, I guess, but I didn't see that game. I don't know. I, I think Alabama is going to put it to LSU. Well, it's funny you say this is uh, probably the 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 biggest line you've seen um, uh, for a game in Def D E A F Valley, as it's really called down there in Baton Rouge. Um, it's probably also the smallest line Alabama has seen going into a game this year. It is. It is. Um, I don't. I don't take anything away from what they've done. Just as why would you take away what anything from what Clemson's done over the last three games? Uh, when a team's great, you, you can see it. And I think they're gonna. They're gonna. I, I think LSU got their one. Their one weekend uh, in the top four. I hope they enjoyed the trip. They won't be back. Listen, I know LSU is uh, their offense is not that good, but Alabama just also doesn't have the same defense as they had in years past. So again, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of interesting things to, to to come out of this game. One is is LSU really as good as they seem to be, and uh, two, how does Alabama's offense fare going up against a legitimate defense? We're going to find out on Saturday night. Uh, sticking the SEC, you've got number six Georgia at. Well, I guess these rankings have changed, but we, let's, we got Georgia at Kentucky. I think Georgia's six now, Kentucky's uh, at eight, I believe, in the new top 25. Uh, this is the first time Kentucky will end with an above 500 record in the SEC in 40-plus years. I think that's more remarkable than anything else. Hey, they're a good team. Uh, good defense. I think uh, S&P has them as the number three defense, which is it's pretty pretty lofty there. Um and, and they have a good running game. So I still think it's kind of Georgia's model, but I still think Georgia's going to come out on top on the road, um, which will ultimately disqualify them from the playoffs as well. Yeah, and we mentioned before Penn State at Michigan. Uh, normally, I think, uh, you know, all things being equal, I would think this would be a good game, but I'm not sold on Penn State anymore. Their running game has been down this year. McSorley has not been playing as well. And that game being in Ann Arbor, I give the edge to Michigan in this game. I think so. They're, they're, Penn State has been – they've been good, but I don't think there's – again, there's nothing that's that's great about them. The 10th best offense, the 21st best defense. Hey, beat Michigan, though, just to, just to shake things up. Why not? I mean, no, I, you know, honestly, I don't really care about this game. I'm fine if Michigan gets in the playoff because I think we handle them pretty easily. Um, I think at this point in the year, I just want to see good games. Um, but again, I, I think Penn State has struggled in, in key areas this year. Um, and I think Michigan just kind of, I don't think it's going to be a high scoring game, but I think they'll beat them by double digits, maybe 10 to 14 points. 
Um, Notre Dame at Northwestern, we talked about, I think Northwestern has, you know, as good a chance as any team left on Notre Dame's schedule to pull out a, a victory here. Um, but still Notre Dame, definitely the edge in that one. You got Oklahoma at Texas Tech. You never know what happens in the Big 12. This could be the game that with Texas losing last weekend, Texas Tech pulls this off. And I would say the Big 12 is out of the playoff. I think so. That would leave West Virginia and... Looking for where they landed, um, so they, they would still have a shot, but it would be a long shot. I, I think I think Oklahoma will take care of business. But you're right, the Big Twelve um, going into Texas Tech, thirteen and a half point spread. Anything can happen. Um, speaking of another conference, Cal at Washington State. Uh, Washington State has been the big surprise in that conference this year. But listen, uh, Mike Leach is a is a good football coach. There's a lot of speculation about if the Georgia Tech job comes open with Paul Johnson leaving this year, whether or not uh, Mike Leach has interest in that job. And there's some rumblings that um, he may. So that would be pretty interesting for the for the ACC conference if Mike Leach makes the transition. Would that be a? Would you consider that a, a parallel? Not a parallel. A a lateral move. A lateral move. Thank you. Um, That's a football term. Um, yeah, I would. I think just because everybody's figured out Paul Johnson's um, offense, that Georgia Tech does not seem to be as big of a job as it really is. Um, you've got Atlanta. You've got the hotbed of recruiting in Atlanta in the South. I think what Mike Leach brings to the table, a more dynamic, more exciting offense that – uh, that could really take hold at Georgia Tech, and he would have more success than Paul Johnson is in recruiting there. And ultimately, I think if you're a good team in the ACC and in the South, that you have a higher upside than if you're up in Washington State. So, no, I don't see it as a lateral move. Fair enough. Um, and then finally, uh, Boston College of Virginia Tech, uh, just something to look out for. We still have Boston College on the schedule. Um, again, hard to play in Bladsburg. Maybe Virginia Tech comes out of the coastal. Who knows what's going to happen? But uh, I don't know. I'm just looking for something to, to, to be entertained by in the ACC, considering, you know, we are in that conference. I mean, I, I, I can watch one and a half games every Saturday, and I certainly won't spend that half on any ACC game that's not Clemson. You know what I find anymore is that every time I go back to check the scores the day after and I'm scrolling through stuff or even the day of is I realize I don't I don't I never see what South Carolina is doing. And I really don't see any other what other ACC teams are doing, because I only look at the games with top 25 teams in it. Um, so, hey, congrats, South Carolina. You beat Tennessee over the weekend. Uh, not that that means much. Um, you're going to get blown out here in a few weeks on the Saturday after uh, after Thanksgiving. Um, so. That wraps it up. Uh, you know that covers our week ten games. Uh, things uh, mean a little bit more now that the top twenty five rankings in the college football playoff has come out. Again, Clemson solidly there at number two with Alabama at number one. No surprises there, and uh, we'll see how all this plays out here in the, the the final stretch run of the season. So that's all the time we have today, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we're sorry that the, the games are not more any more entertaining than they have been. And guess what? Next week is not looking to be any better. Another noon start uh, for the Tigers, this time playing Louisville at home. Clemson, I don't know. What's the line of that, Cody? About 50? 38. 38, yeah. Well, we're going to win by more than that. Have you seen Louisville play? Um so yeah, it doesn't really get a lot more exciting until we get into Boston College and Duke and South Carolina, I guess. Um, but you know, this is the hand we'll dealt, and we'll just have to just keep hoping for uh, big victories here. Um, thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. Again, you can reach out to us, ClemsonPodcast at gmail.com. We're at Clemson Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. Um, follow us on um, any podcasting app of your choice to, to stay up to date, real-time notifications when we release our episodes. And leave us an iTunes reviews. Uh, those are always helpful. And uh, I promise one of these days I'm going to start going through those and give everybody some shout-outs for leaving us such kind words. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time after the Louisville game, go Tigers. Go Tigers.